Hello again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. This is the SLGND Podcast, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave Podcast, presented by the D-Hotel. Dan Duva here, Gary Lawless, Dave Gosher, Shane Knighty, the crew is together, continuing to broadcast by remote location, connected with the magic of modern technology. And this is another edition of uh, a Gary Lawless project. And he's rounded the group together. And this one, Gary, is, I guess, not so much uh, about uh, the four of us initially. This is more about the players on the Golden Knights and their biggest moments in their hockey lives. We have our biggest moment. So, uh, Gary, uh, Dave, and Shane, first of all, how's everybody doing? All right. Just dandy, Dan. Thank you for asking. It's very kind of you. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, it's good. It's great to see your yep. faces on this uh, on this technology and uh, to be able to uh, to get together. I'm also interested in, in how this project got off the ground from your standpoint. These are things that you would like to do uh, normally, you know, a, a long read piece and something a little off the beaten path, but we, we normally we don't have time for it. Uh, yeah. There are games, there are practices, there are tra- there's travel, and it's hard for me to get access to all 23 players on the roster to get uh, to get time with them, and then the you know to write it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so you know, there's been I've had. This is the third since the pause started. The first one was how the Knights were built. Uh, the second one was, help me out here, I've forgotten already what it uh, the coaches was. Situation. The coaches and their path to the NHL. And then uh, as I was finishing that one up, I said to myself, what next? And, uh, you know, I was uh, you know, I, I, part of my process is I'll call up the Golden Knights website and click on roster and stare at the names and so i'm looking at the names and i thought to myself yeah. oh, that guy did this that guy did that okay i'm gonna ask everybody about the the biggest moment in their career and it's been pretty interesting there's been i got drafted winning the stanley cup uh first game in the nhl first goal nate schmidt his the biggest moment in his career was getting selected so far was getting selected by the Vegas Golden Knights in the expansion draft and he told a story he's in Minnesota it's in the summer and he's speaking at a banquet for a bunch of minor hockey players from Minnesota the night of the expansion draft and he said you know he'd heard from his agent maybe then he'd heard no then he'd heard maybe he's sitting there and all these kids start looking at their phones and start pointing at him. And he's like, <laughs> I guess I just got selected by the Vegas Golden Knights. And he, and wow. uh, yeah, it was a pretty interesting story. So, um, you know, uh, Derek England's speech uh, in the Vegas Golden Knights inaugural home opener, he told the story of that. It's been, uh, it's been really interesting to get, uh, get time with the guys and to, to hear what they say. So um, I'm really looking forward to, to to seeing how fans respond uh, to the project. Wow, that, it's it's interesting. Uh, I I I'm eager to read it, Gary. Uh, I'm I'm also kind of curious to know what kind of questions you asked of the players because I guess that would be a preview of what you're about to ask us. Yes. Well, <laughs> should we just do it? <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say that I cheated on this because I knew I was only going to have a few minutes with each guy. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I sent Michael Farber a text and said, you got a few minutes. And I explained the project to him. And I, and I had my list of questions. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, go with that. That sounds good. So uh, uh, sometimes <laughs> the best help is no help. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, all right. What do you got? I'll start with Dave Gosher. All right. If that's okay. Dave, what is the biggest moment of your broadcasting career? Uh, I would say probably the East Coast Hockey League, the semifinals in 1993, four. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Wheeling in Toledo, the Riley Cup semifinals. No, I mean, I think, Gary, when, when you think about moments that what comes to the forefront of my memory, it would be anytime you have the opportunity to call a team winning a championship at whatever level. And I've been lucky enough um, at a couple of different levels, obviously Shane Bruins in 2011 winning the Stanley Cup. And then the other one that would come to mind in terms of the championship thing is when I was in Providence, uh, the Providence Bruins won the Calder Cup in 1999. So um, I think those moments, and I don't know how other broadcasters feel, but you know, you, you love to be part of big moments and big games and, and games that not only you remember, but that, you know, fans remember that uh, they can recall years later, maybe, you know, where they were and, you know, when the Bruins won the Stanley Cup. So I think those would probably be at the at the top of the list just from, a, you know, a, an opportunity to call a team winning a championship. Um, you know, there's people that are in this. I, I remember thinking when the Bruins won in 2011 and it was my... 10th or 11th year doing the games there that, you know, there are broadcasters that are in this business two and three times longer than me that never have that opportunity. And, you know, I remember thinking then guys like Bob Miller and Rick Jenneret, you know, Bob had a chance with the Kings, you know, in 2012 and 14, but like Rick Jenneret, God love him, has never had that opportunity with Buffalo. So I just felt very fortunate, you know, to be able to, to call that in 2011. The other one that comes to mind, and it's funny, and I always... I hear about it on the Twitters, the anniversary of the, the game the Bruins came back in 2013 in the playoffs was seven years ago today when uh, they were down 4-1 to the Leafs in Game 7 in the third period and uh, came back and tied it and then won it on a, on a Patrice Bergeron goal. So I think in terms of championship moments, those would be the two that I mentioned. And then as a singular moment, um, it would be Bergeron, you know, capping what was just an incredible comeback in 2013. Well, if so, then let's let's dig into that one a little bit. Uh, both you, the both calls are iconic because the the call for in 2011, uh, the duck boats. That's uh, something that uh, that people all over Massachusetts uh, and really all over hockey uh, remember and 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 talk about still to this day. But the Bergeron uh, call. Uh, is one that, well, you hear it on NHL Network, you hear it on Sirius Radio. It uh, it's it's one of the best calls in the National Hockey League in in our in our time. Uh, tell us uh, why it was. How many times did you say Bergeron? I just said it twice. twice. I, I swear, over the years, it's been like people <laughs> think I said it fifteen. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I think what, what I remember most about it, Gary, to be honest, was um, there's a few things. One is, now they were down 4-1 with 11 and a half minutes left. And I had my my phone just kind of off to my right. 
And I was looking at it in a commercial and my buddies were texting me, this sucks. You want to play golf this week? You know, are they going to fire Claude Julian? All these things I didn't want to even ponder, you know? So I put my phone, I put it like literally made it be out of my reach. And then Nathan Horton scored and made it four to two. Uh, Milan Lucic scored to make it four to three with like a minute 20 left or something. And for whatever reason, I kind of looked at my phone and the tone of the text had started to change dramatically, you know, as in, holy God, they might find a way to win. Um, and then sure enough, Bergeron tied it with 51 seconds left or something. And then the, the thing I do remember about that whole experience was that team, Claude Julian called them a Jekyll and Hyde team. And because you didn't know really from that was the lockout shortened year in 2012-13. You didn't really know what team you were going to get from night to night. They were up three games to one in that series, but now they're down three goals in game seven. Um, And I think I said somewhere, you know, it's a good thing Dr. Jekyll showed up here in the third period because (laughs) they'd be toast, you know. But I do remember thinking between the third period and the overtime that it would not surprise me if they lose this game because, you know, you just didn't know. And I remember Tuka Rask made a great save on Joffrey Lupul about four or five minutes in overtime, point blank. Lupul was probably 15 feet out all alone. And then Bergeron scored. And I just, uh, I don't know, if you're going to blow a gasket, I guess that's probably the time to do it. And uh, I don't know, I've never before or since, I don't think ever said a player's name like twice like that. But I, And the more I've seen it over the ensuing years, I think it's because if you watch the video, I think Bergeron jumps up in the air twice. So I, for some, that's the only reason yeah. I can come to, to, um, to thinking as to why I did it. And so I was just, and I didn't realize until afterwards, you know, like the, in the post game, then the next day it was played quite a bit. I'm like, you've never done that before or since you're screaming like a banshee. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, it was very, uh, and I was just shocked, honestly, that they won the game because, you know, they were, they looked dead in the water, really, with 11 minutes left. And, you know, there had to be four or 5,000 people that left the building, you know, and were trying to make U-turns in their cars to come back. So, um, and then that kind of spurred that team on. They they beat the Rangers in five, the Penguins in the conference final in four, and then all the way to the cup final against Chicago. Where did the duck boats come from? The duck boats came from, if if you win a championship in Boston, you get your own duck boat parade. And, you know, that's probably been over the last 20 years or so. Like, I remember the Celtics winning it in the 80s three times. And I just think they were on the back of flatbed trucks going through downtown Boston. I don't think there were any duck boats in terms of parades back then. Dave, I mean, many people might not know what a duck boat actually is. Maybe you can It's just like this. uh, You go on duck boat tours of the Charles River, and it's like a, I don't know, it looks like a boat, but it's like a duck boat. They're named after all these different ducks, but it's it's on wheels. It's like an amphibious vehicle. Right. You know? Wasn't it for, like they were built for the war, right? That yeah, was, wasn't the idea. The, so exactly. Like they're the driving around city streets and then like all of a sudden you drive into the Charles and the, 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 the wheels come up and then you're a regular boat. Yeah, exactly. It's so, pretty cool. And, I mean, I've done the duck boat tour, not in a parade, but they're pretty I've neat. Only, the funny part is I've only been on one once. And that was for the parade. <laughs> so if you're only going to pick one time to do That's it. That's the time. My man. boat was Huckleberry Hal. I remember that was his name. But um, no, just in answer to your question, Gary, so it's got to be probably 20 years ago now. If you won a championship in Boston, you you got your own duck boat parade. It wasn't on the back of a truck. And uh, I just remember thinking the morning of Game 7, but in that point in time, the Bruins were really the only team that had not won a championship in a while. 
You know, the Red Sox had won it in 2004 and 2007. The Celtics had won in 2008. The Patriots had won three out of four, um, you know, their first three Super Bowls. So by the time 2011 came around, the Bruins were the team that, you know, was kind of the one, uh, kind of the outlier of the group. Shara left side. He'll play it off the glass. Back down into the Vancouver zone with five seconds to go. The exit behind the Canucks net. Get the duck boats ready. After 39 long years, the Cup is back home. The Bruins are 2011 Stanley Cup champions. And I just remember the morning of Game 7, um, and Shane would remember this, that it was a 5 o'clock start out in Vancouver, so there was no morning skate, and which was good for me. I climbed the walls in the hotel as it is, so I just went out. We, and we know exactly where it is, guys, where the Olympic cauldron was. The torch was lit for the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. There's some bars and restaurants and coffee shops. And I went and got a coffee and sat outside like I can still see where I was sitting, where the cauldron is in uh, downtown there. And I just kind of gave it some thought of, you know, what would that scene be like if the Bruins won it? You know, and the thing I kept coming back to is they're going to have their own duck boat parade. That's what I kind of kept coming back to. So, uh and then was, that was about as much thought as I gave it. I don't know how you feel about it, Dan, but I try not to overthink those. I heard Doc Emberg say once, Dick Emberg gave him some good advice. When it comes to big moments, it's wise to give it some thought. Don't completely leave it to chance, but you don't want to overdo it. So whatever those two guys go with, that's good by me. Right. You know? oh, so, it, uh, for sure. You know, and, yeah. and it just, I mean, things pop into your head, and I think it's just, we're always trying to prepare for for the for the game, regardless of whether it's a preseason game or a Stanley Cup final game. And the themes tend to emerge when you've marinated your head in everything that goes into a game. And some things just come top of mind. And whether it yeah. was Al Michaels and miracles in 1980 or duck boats for the Bruins uh, a few decades later. I, I, those are like, if you had written it down and then, oh wait, they won. Let me look at my piece of paper and read it. That it would have been totally disingenuous and it would have sounded fake and you would have ruined it. That's not how it works. I, I mean, I might have written a couple of things down when a thought has come to me, but I would never read a scripted line. That's unless it yeah. was, you know, on a pregame show, that's totally different. But no, not in a not in a big moment, not in a, a playoff game or a championship setting for sure. Yeah, I just wanted to just to kind of put a bow on it, Gary. So I I had thought about it and uh but briefly that morning and then didn't really think about it again until after the second period, the Bruins were up three nothing. And there was no way they were going to lose that game. You know, the way Tim Thomas was playing, there was no way Vancouver was going to come back and be able to tie the game. So in the second intermission, I do remember giving it a little more thought. And I think, I don't know, initially I was think I was going to say time to get the duck boats ready. But then I think I kind of left the time to get, I think I left that out just to get the duck boats ready. Yeah. And I never up. thought. How many yeah, times has it been used I just since? wanted. What's How that? many times has it been said and used or used since? Yeah, I know. Well, right. that, you know what's funny about it too, Shane, and I I get a kick out of something that I gave five minutes thought to the morning at Game 7, eh, nine years ago almost, that now when other teams have won it in subsequent years, like I kind of see it like the mayor says it or other people say it, and I, I'm like, that's kind of humbling, you know, because I, I didn't give it that much thought, but I just wanted to kind of try to capture the moment and then shut up and not screw it up. So say it and then... Let's lock it up. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. I, 
I've had people tell me you should try to patent it, but I, that sounds like a lot of work, you know? <laughs> Can I ask, much, Shane, did you know, like, did, did the players have a sense, like, when did you first hear get the duck boats ready? Like, did the players know? It, became, it became the popular call, and, and just for, I guess, the most current reference, when we did our Zoom call with the Boston Bruins rewatching Game 7 of 2011, it was Milan Lucic who gave Dave a shout-out live on the Zoom to say Dave had yeah. the best call of that final. So, Dan, he's always been my favorite yeah, Bruins for a lot of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dooms, let's move over to you. Thanks, Dave. That was fantastic. And uh, um, I, I didn't plan to do this when I started this project, but uh, uh, you had uh, two great ones. So thanks very much. Dan, what about yourself? Yeah, you know, it's funny just as, as we're talking about this and, and – um, you know, what resonates with people. And, you know, first of all, Vegas Golden Knights, so many moments from the first season, the first home game and the Stanley Cup final game one stand out uh, the way. And, and recently, since we've been re-airing some of these broadcasts, listening to the pregame ceremony from game one, there was no play by play in that. But I think that how it was handled on the radio was something that I'll be proud of for a long time. And, the, you know, Stanley Cup final game one, uh, the only victory the Knights had against the Capitals, that it was in T-Mobile Arena, that it was so back and forth, great game start to finish, and that uh, the Knights managed to seal it. No sick with the empty net goal. I thought there was some symmetry there because earlier that season, he had been the first Golden Knight to score in T-Mobile Arena. And here he is. He scores the, you know, two goals in uh, the Stanley Cup final game one. A year earlier, I had called Tomas Nosek scoring two goals in game one of the Calder Cup final. The only difference was Nosek was on the winning side the year before for the Grand Rapids Griffins. Uh, so th there are just so many moments, and, and naturally there are the, the minor league moments or the moments in college or even high school are those that nobody would have any connection to except for me. But I think that what does stand out, Gary, uh, and, and Dave, you know, talk about the mayor of Boston, you know, citing the, the duck boats. Uh, I have had friends through the years who have asked me to send a copy of a particular call or a particular moment. That was at the time kind of a, a neat thing. But for that person, and I could think of my buddy Billy Christopher, who was a field goal kicker in high school, there was a bad snap and he threw a touchdown pass. He recites the call to me verbatim. Uh, I can think about one of my friends who played for the Chad Amazing in an opposite field home run. Kevin McAvoy goes oppo, right? Then, you know, in, in Trenton, my first year, the first goal that I called as a pro was by Kyle Kacharski out of Boston College. You know, like those guys have a special attachment to those moments. And I think that, Dave, that's what we try to do. We try to, you know, capture these moments, as you said. They might be on a grand scale like a Stanley Cup, but for uh, a lot of the moments, at least so far in my career, they have been not NHL moments. Uh, I, I've been lucky to do this for a few years at the NHL level, but so many more things that I've called have not been on this stage. So I think about the, the people that they touched. Uh, and I'll come back, Gary, to answer your question with, with, uh, with two things. One was, um, and it's a story that I, I think I told you the first time that you and I were in person together, was doing a game with Mike Emmerich in Hershey, Pennsylvania in December of 2015. And the quick story there is uh, Syracuse Crunch, Hershey Bears. It was the last game before the Christmas break 
Coincidentally, my dad had driven to the game um, just because he was close enough. It's a couple hours from home, made it there. And uh, as I'm getting ready to uh, to interview the coach outside the locker room, I get a tap on the shoulder and it's Mike Emmerich. I had no idea he was going to be there. He was in attendance to MC the Hershey Bears Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I was busy. I had to go interview the coach and then find my dad who was lost at the entrance trying to get a, a pass. So I said, hey, Doc, here are a couple of Bowling Green alumni J.W. Aiken, who is now with the Golden Knights equipment staff, he was our equipment manager with the Crunch. Bowling Green Connection, there you go. Doc, I'll see you later. But really, not knowing if I'd get to see Doc later uh, in the day, he does the pregame ceremony. The game begins. I'm calling the game. My dad had made it to the booth, so I'm in the radio booth in Hershey with my dad. That's pretty cool. Then the door to the booth opens up, and in walks Mike Emmerich. And I'm calling the game. I can't just stop and say hello. But here is a lesson to young broadcasters. Always have a spare headset hooked up and ready to go. Because Doc came over, shook my dad's hand, and then put on the extra headset. I was not planning to have a special guest. But I always plugged in that extra headset because who knows? Your headset could break. You never know if Mike Emmerich is going to walk in the booth. So he sits down. And I... I, I I assumed he wanted to say something, <laughs> so I, I said, oh, looks like we have a special guest. Hi, Doc. Turned up, you know, his microphone, and, uh, you know, I, I was kind of engaging him in conversation, but especially on the radio, you've got to describe the game. So I'm saying to myself, I should do right now what I've been telling myself as long as I can remember. Consider the listener, and oftentimes, as a broadcaster, we think about that one person listening on the other end. I'm talking to you. I want to make a connection to you. I want to enhance this game with information, with entertainment for you. And I have to tell you, more than a couple of times, I've thought about Doc Emmerich on the other end of that radio. Now he's sitting next to me. This is perfect. Like, this is like your principles playing out in real life. It's manifested with Doc sitting next to me. So I'm calling the game, and I am... You know, dropping in like, here's Aaron Ness from Roseau, Minnesota. They've got a couple of hockey players we know from Roseau, right, Doc? He says, that's right, the Broughtons. You know, like, so I'm just dropping it all in there. I love all these references, by the way, and that's why I worried about putting the headset on that I was going (laughs) to hijack your broadcast because you had such a great flow going here. I think everyone. And uh, and then, like, Tony D'Angelo scores a goal while Doc was talking, and Doc just sort of took over. four or five to nothing now. And we kind of called the goal together because he didn't know who number 79 was, so I had to supply the name. But two nothing on power plays, and three nothing make that because of a shot that came from the point from 79 Anthony D'Angelo all right D'Angelo it's three to nothing I'm plus three now (laughs) you're plus three you're not going anywhere I get nothing for power (laughs) plays because there are no pluses for power plays it was pretty cool hold on a second Uh, I gotta interject for a minute because did you belt Doc when he stepped on you (laughs) because I've been sitting beside you for a while and I know what happens when I step on one of your goal calls it's not very nice yeah, well, he, he was calling it. He said the number, and then he looked at me because he didn't know who it was. So I had to then realize he wanted me to say what I wanted to say, which was yeah. Tony D'Angelo. And then I shut up, and he kept on talking. I think it would have been great, Dan, when Doc threw the headset on if you said, Doc, what are you doing? Yeah. Hit <laughs> the road. This is my show. <laughs> so, uh, so at some point, you know, we were engaging in this conversation, and, and he said something, you know, I, I didn't want to ignore him, of course. I was including him in the broadcast, but, um, you know, I was asking, like, it just so happened that the Crunch had nine defensemen in the lineup that day. Perfect one for you, Shane. 
Luke Witkowski uh, was playing as a forward. Witkowski moved up to a forward, deflected one that went on goal. It was a great opportunity. Came off the ice, got to the bench, all kinds of taps on the head. Uh, and you still had eight defensemen instead of six playing D. So it was very strange. I said, Doc, have you ever seen nine defensemen in a lineup? Never. Yeah, well, you're seeing it tonight. And at some point, you know, he said something to the tune of, I just want to hear you call the, the game. Period, because I just want to listen to you call the game. That's fun for me. Okay. Uh, but I- okay. And so I continued to call the period. It was great. He left to do an autograph signing during the first intermission, but then he came back and he just sat in the booth and I, I think chatted with my dad. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple of pictures of that. So that, that was pretty neat. And then again, the, the, the epilogue is our bus broke down on the way back to Syracuse after the game. Uh, and I'm sitting on the bus. There's no power. Again, it's the last game before Christmas. So everybody's trying to get back home. You know, like Matt Taramina was going to get in the car and drive to Michigan whenever we got back to Syracuse late at night. And we're sitting there and everybody's upset. And I got the big speaker that they bring in the locker room. And it's sitting right next to me on the bus. I plugged in my iPad and I turned on the Christmas channel. And the first song was Frank Sinatra, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And everybody laughed. It was great. And as I'm sitting there, I decided this would be a perfect picture to paint for Doc. I wanted to thank him for coming on the broadcast. So I'm, I'm typing out this email, listening to Frank Sinatra, and everybody's kind of singing along. We eventually got a new bus. But I, I sent this play-by-play of the bus ride to Doc as a thank you. Uh, and fast forward months later, Tampa Bay Lightning are in the Stanley Cup final, and Doc is there for NBC. Luke Witkowski is up with the Lightning at this point. And Luke walks into the locker room to see all the media huddled around Steven Stamkos at his locker and sees one person over at his stall. And it's Mike Emmerich wanting to talk to Luke about that game from December of 2015. Look at the four check. There he is, my guy. Luke Witkowski right in. (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. And by the way, when I went back to Jersey the next day, eventually, I had dinner on Frank Sinatra Boulevard in Hoboken, New Jersey. (laughs) <laughs> so I'd, I'd say that, that that moment and that kind of series of events uh, will, will stick with me for a long time. Excellent stuff, Dan. Thank you very much. Shane, you're up. Well, I'm not as exciting for those guys. Uh, those are quite the stories. Uh, my broadcasting career obviously isn't as long as, uh, well, certainly Dave and, uh, you know, Dan. They've, it's been their career. I, I had... No previous experience coming into it. I think we all know what, uh, obviously, my greatest hockey career was. Well, you know, experience, anyways, the, the cop. But outside of that, I think, you know, for anything, who forgets their first? Uh, my first game, my first call, first game of the Golden Knights. Uh, those are all certainly highlights. Uh, for me, it started in Winnipeg, and that was when the Jets returned uh, to Manitoba, which is my home province. The Jets, Winnipeg Jets 2.0. Uh, that first game back there, bringing the NHL back to the province, back to the city of Winnipeg, and, and being able to call that game against the Montreal Canadiens, certainly, uh, you know, as my first, you know, regular season call in the NHL uh, w- was a big experience for me. Um, one I won't forget, uh, the crowd uh, for, you know, people who've, who have heard about Winnipeg, it's the smallest arena in the league. But uh, right up there with amongst the loudest and, and incredible energy. And certainly it was for a very hockey passionate city that had been without the NHL that long. So that that was big. And the other one that was probably a really big moment for me was I did not expect to, to get on TV the 
the progression was about, you know, going on radio and working my way up. Working, I was working for TSN then, and they had a bunch of guys who would fly in uh, to do the TV games. I was on radio strictly my first year. And then my, the first opportunity I got was kind of like my hockey career. Someone broke an ankle and I got in. Well, this one was, they didn't break an ankle, but they missed a flight. So they went to the bullpen, so to say, and uh, I got the call having no clue. I was just learning about radio, but, you know, what's TV? As a player, you never think what goes into a hockey game while well, they just call the game. You know, and I, you know, you knew what play-by-play guys do, but as an analyst, uh, TV is a, a different animal because all of a sudden they're hooking up wireless mics and I've got buttons to press to talk to the truck. Well, there's nobody to talk to other than your partner in radio, maybe the, the guy working the board to make sure your levels are right in your audio. But now I'm talking to a producer, I'm talking to a director, I've got cameramen talking in my ear. And I got to listen to the play-by-play. For a guy who has a short attention span, this is a, a tall task, especially <laughs> not knowing what you're doing. But I'll never forget going going in and doing that game. And uh, I never knew I had the ability to, to kind of dictate what's going to show and put your own touch into the broadcast. You know, picking out plays. Where, you know, sure, everybody sees the goal, but where did it start? Did it start with a great defensive stick or a big hit in the neutral zone or a smart play here? And being able to hit my button and tell people to mark that, mark this. And then, you know, kind of you have a, you didn't, I, I didn't know you had that much say. And it was, it was really, it was the closest thing I had to playing again. And the adrenaline of putting together uh, a game that I loved and, and having a say on how it's going to be displayed to the viewers and to the listeners. And uh, that first TV game, and, and it went to, to my luck or whatever you want to call it, it just worked. And I remember going home that night uh, and I told my wife, I said, now I know exactly what I want to do. And that was uh, call games on TV. So uh, that that game certainly uh, sticks out in my mind. And although I didn't call this game, uh, the, the first regular season home game in Vegas will always be one of the greatest moments for me to be a part of, uh, just to witness. And, and that whole year calling games magical. As for the greatest, I certainly hope it's to come. And that would be obviously calling a championship win. So uh, I leave that open. But uh, so many great moments in, in, you know, what's been my, I I shouldn't say short now. It's what, uh, nine years? It's almost as long as my playing (laughs) career. We're getting there. Uh, But yeah, that, that first one I did on TV, first one in radio, First on TV, just much like my first ever game I played. Uh, I'm not going to tell about my other first, um, but (laughs) 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 that's. uh, (laughs) But yeah, I I, can tell you, I can tell you that I was at both those games that Shane's talking about and the radio call for the first game. No, you're thinking of the first exhibition game. That was Columbus, was that, the first, the sorry, first, the first regular audio, season because well, it was... But that, f- but that call that call from the first Columbus game uh, was... It uh, became yeah. iconic in Winnipeg. Uh, it, the very first shift, Dustin Bufflin knocked somebody uh, uh, booty over tea kettle. And what did you say, Shane? Well, uh, you know what? It was something you always said as a player. And, you know, nothing was scripted. And, you know, as, as a broadcaster, I had nothing else to go on. As I yeah. didn't players' quotes, and it was... I remember Bufflin made a hit, and then there's a big screen, two guys, and it was like the 
20 seconds into the very first preseason, like first game back in Winnipeg Arena and Buffalo and the Billy went well. I said, well, you either give a hit or take a hit to get into it. And there's one or one way to one or two ways to get in a game. There's two. Yeah. Give two a hit or take a hit. Game. And uh, yeah, everything assumed and it, it just blew up. But it, that was my first call. Um, and then. Yeah, and then the one against Montreal, although they lost, just the electricity in that game. I think we only had yeah. Nick Antropov scored the only goal. They lost 5-1 to Montreal, the first regular season home game uh, of the return of the Winnipeg Jets. Well, so I had a radio program in 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 Winnipeg called the Hustler and Lawless Show. And uh, after I heard that call, there's two ways to get into a game, either give a hit or take a hit. We Our show started with a segment called The Hits. And I said to our producer, put that clip in there. So every day at 4 o'clock, when our show started, the first thing you heard was Shane saying, and that show still, it's well, it's got a different name now. It's got some silly name, the, the Afternoon Ride or something like that. But the entire time I was there, that's how my show started, was with the... With that quote for that clip from Shane, so, I never uh, saw any money Shane's for this. Still getting royalties? I, I was going to yeah, say really. I never saw any money, <laughs> no, or I don't no, remember no. your pro- uh, approval. I guess I was owned by yes. TSN, but exactly, exactly. <laughs> some of those radios getting yeah. those radios getting turned off around Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary, uh, I mean, that, the the return of, of hockey to Winnipeg was was big in so many ways. We know that you were really the guy who broke the story in Winnipeg. Uh, but uh, that, what what about you? What is your biggest moment? Yeah, I guess it depends on if you want to include. Uh, the written portion of my uh, the written work of that I've done in my career. If you just stick to to broadcasting, and uh, I guess you know uh, the first time I was on TSN from uh, from the Olympics in Sochi was uh, a very big deal to me, and that game that Shane's talking about that Montreal game, we did my show, the Hustler and Lawless show, from the atrium. Of uh, it was called the MTS Center back then. I think it's called Bell MTS Center now in Winnipeg. We did it from the atrium, and there were like two thousand people. Like it was packed; you couldn't move. Standing around the stage that where we were doing our show, and they piped it in. It was like it was like being a rock star. You were up on this stage, and they had and they piped the sound into this room. And I had sent a text to Frank Brown who at that time was uh, the PR handler for Gary Bettman, commissioner of the National Hockey League, and said, we'd love to have Gary on our show today. If you know the history, uh, Gary Bettman was blamed incorrectly, wrongly, for the Jets leaving Winnipeg the first time. He hasn't got enough credit for for helping bring the Jets back. And he did say, you know, we want to correct the wrong. This t- town should never have lost its team. And now that we can, you know, so, so he, he didn't get enough credit, I didn't think, anyways, for the return of the Jets. So I sent Frank this text and he said, no way. Then I guess uh, he thought, I better run it past Gary Bettman. So he said to, to Gary, he goes, Lawless asked you to, to join him on his show. And, he, and Bettman said, let's see how it goes. So I got a text from Frank Brown saying, we're going to bring him up. But this first 
the first hint of a boo or anything, I'm I'm whipping him out of there. And you be ready for that. I said, absolutely. So, Hustler, my, my radio partner, Andrew Patterson, Hustler, we're up and we're talking about this and that. And all of a sudden, you see the three giant Brooklyn-born Irish cops that are Gary Bettman's bodyguards, his phalanx of security. They start to start to see their head and shoulders above the crowd. And you can't see Bettman because he's below the crowd. He's in the middle of these three guys, but the crowd is so thick that all you can see is, is them. And all of a sudden, the crowd senses it's him, figures out, figures out it's him, and he, they start to chant his name. Gary, Gary, Gary. And this goes on, and it's deafening. And finally, he comes up. They wheel him up onto the side of the stage, and he walks out, and we hand him a headset, and the smile on his face, I'll never forget it. He puts the headset on, and he looked at me, and he says on the radio, goes, was that for you or was that for me? <laughs> and, and you said me. <laughs> so uh, I found this out later. So we had a great interview. It was a lot of fun. And I found out later that Mark Chipman, the owner of the Jets, the part owner, and David Thompson, the other owner of the Jets, had invited Gary Bettman out onto the ice for the ceremonial opening face-off. And because Gary didn't want to walk out with these guys and have and for there to be booze. So he had politely said, I, I don't think so. Well, after that resp- reception, he texted Mark and said, I've changed my mind. <laughs> and he came out for the opening ceremony. And again, he got another great uh, uh, round of applause. So uh, um, that, that whole moment, there's a little backstory that I'll just do really fast. My show had been at a different station. My show, our show. Uh, and we had gotten started at a really small place. Then we'd moved up to another place. And... It's, there was there was a difference of opinion between the general manager of that station and uh, and myself, and it got to the point where I decided I didn't want to be there anymore. And this other station had opened, and it was called Sports Radio 1290. And I sent the program director a note one day and said, do you have any interest in a drive drive home show? And he phoned me and said, you're kidding. We were on the biggest station in town. We were on the big, the blowtorch, the big 50,000 watt AM place. And this other one was small. I said, "Uh, uh, you know, let's talk. And while this was going on, I was writing all these stories about the return of the Jets. And I kind of thought that didn't matter where we would be. We were, it it would work out for us because... There was going to be more attention. There was going to be an NHL team. People would people would listen to us wherever we were on the dial. Turns out that uh, you know, I, my partner and I we talked about it and we moved over to this place. But there was nothing. We moved there in February of 2011, and it was called Sports Radio 1290. Well, in the next couple of months, it became TSN Radio, TSN 1290. 
And then shortly after that, they got the rights to the Jets, which is where Shane started his broadcasting career at that same station. So we went from kind of walking out on a limb on a matter of principle to, in a real short time, being on the, the most important sports radio station uh, in certainly in that part of the country and being broadcasting NHL games and having this moment. And it kind of, in the back of my mind, it was this great moment for the community and for the people of Winnipeg. But for me and my partner, it was also, uh, we were rewarded for sticking to our guns. And it, so there's a personal uh, piece of that moment that, uh, that I'll never forget. Yeah. Lawman, do you, let me ask you a question. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, you broke the story of the Jets going back to Winnipeg and, uh, just and I'm to, sure just there have been. To be very, really, Sorry. really clear. I wrote uh, hundreds of stories about that. The actual story that was printed uh, online um, that, that was sort of that is credited as the actual return of the Jets was written by Stephen Brunt to the Globe and Mail. Uh, that was not okay. my moment. Uh, someone in the, in the provincial government uh, knew that there were high-level conversations going on between the NHL and True North Sports and Entertainment about this and, uh, and said to Stephen, this deal's done. The deal was not done, and it wasn't done uh, for quite some time after, but that is the story that that's what drew all, all the people ran down to Portage in Maine and had their party that night uh, um, prematurely, but that doesn't matter. That, that was, that's, that's the one, but go ahead. All right, no, I was just going to, let me rephrase it then. You, you know, in your day of being a sports writer, um, part of it is, is breaking stories. Yeah. And, and, you know, we always joke around with you in the office now, like when a, a move is made or at the trade deadline, <laughs> you can see the, the juices flowing with the law. Yes. Do you miss that part of it? You know, now you write these long-form pieces and other pieces that obviously involved with the Golden Knights in, in many different ways, but the, the, uh, the rush of breaking a story, do you miss that part of it? Well, uh, absolutely. And that was like my version of, I'd be at my cottage or it'd be, you know, I'd be sitting down to dinner for Thanksgiving dinner and you'd get a text and I would just look at my wife and say, I got to go. And, uh, you know, uh, I've been lucky enough to break some, some pretty good stories. Uh, the end of the lockout in 2013 was one that, uh, uh, you know, my biggest one in the NHL. Uh, a whole bunch of Jets ones. Uh, but I broke a story on national TV the morning of the Great Cup in... Uh, the what? Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the Edmonton, the Edmonton Eskimos were were uh, uh, about to play the the Grey Cup game, and they 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 won the game. But Chris Jones was their head coach, and before the game, I knew that his contract had been uh, he had uh, his contract had expired, and he had actually agreed to become the next head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So you you laugh and say what, but the great the the pregame audience for the Great Cup in Canada is around uh, 7 million people. And and everyone who's passionate about the game is watching and I'm announcing that the coach that's going to be on one sideline is about that's the last time he's ever going to coach that team and he's moving one two one province over to be the head coach of the Saskatchewan and general manager of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the GM of the Eskimos 
Ed Hervey, came down to the field after I got off the set and stared at me and glared at me. Um, it was, uh, I got in trouble with uh, our boss, uh, Shane, and I had a boss named Paul Graham. He was none too happy with me because I uh, um, thought I should have waited till after the game, but uh, my news instincts and I trust them, were to go with it then. So uh, long story short, Dave, uh, I love what I do right now, and the trade-offs are are way more in the positive. The one thing I miss is is chasing down a story and uh, uh, hitting send on that tweet and – and knowing that you're the first to, to pop that news, it's it's a lot of fun to do. Well, now when you get your information, Gary, your audience is three, Dave, Shane, and me. So we still <laughs> are the beneficiaries of your digging. <laughs> That's no offense, <laughs> I don't get the I get I don't get the same buzz. <laughs> no, understandable. Neither, neither do we. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I I suppose that is uh, where we can leave it for now, Gary. Does that cover pretty much everything that was on your docket? Yeah, that's uh, better than I could have expected. Chain stuff was great, yeah. and your stuff was uh, fantastic, Dan. While we're doing this podcast. I hit. Uh, I checked on Twitter for a second, and Bruce Lynch at Brew eight four six six tweets Bergeron Bergeron <laughs> for good PXP guys. That would have been a career maker for a true great like at David C Gosher. Just another day at the office, though. I think the game seven OT call is second to get the duck boats ready. Oh, so I've always been a big fan of Bruce. <laughs> I prefer just, the duck just, boats get just, ready, too. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> to, just to show how iconic those two calls of, uh, of, of Dave's are. And uh, uh, thanks a lot for playing along, guys. I really appreciate it. That was great. Oh, well, thanks. Well, thank you, Gary, for thank putting you. all this together. And we look forward to reading the, the full project, the biggest moments for the Golden Knights players that Gary has been working on. But that'll do it for this special episode of the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast. It's SLGND, presented by the D Hotel. We'll talk to you next time.